Ephesians chapter 4, starting at verse 1. I'm going to read 16 verses. So here's what Paul says to this church in Ephesus. He says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. That is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ might maybe built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then we'll no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's pray real quick. Lord, I just pray that your truth, your inspired word, would be illuminated in this room today. It's in Jesus' name. Amen. Go ahead and take your seats. So there's a phenomenon that happens um, in my driveway some years. We have um, a, a little length of of driveway that we have to mark. Um, I clear it with a tractor going backwards uh, down a hill. And so what I do, some of you do, is uh, I mark it with uh, markers so I know it's there. Well, we live on the edge of a bunch of woods, so what I do every fall, I uh, usually like the night right before the first big snow because that's when I think of it. I cut a bunch of sticks. I try and cut some live sticks and put them in the ground so they're real bendy. They're not the fancy fiberglass ones. I tie a little marking tag on them so that when everything else is white, I can see where the edges of, of the driveway are. Well, if you've driven by my driveway um, in the last few weeks, I still have the sticks in. I guess I'm kind of a pessimist thinking that could still snow or just a little bit lazy. But what's interesting that happens every year is these cutoff sticks, these sticks that I cut off in Janu January, there always seems to be this funny thing that happens. So this stick is one of those sticks. It was cut off November, something like that. And you look at this thing, and if you didn't know, you'd think this thing was doing well. Like, wow, spring has come. This thing has a lot of life in it. Well, there's no root. There's no connection to, to the trunk. There's, there's no chance that this thing is going to make it. It's going to wither up and die. But it's showing signs of life. So Jesus said, I am the vine. You are the branches. branches. Remain in me. You'll bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. This has no chance of making it. Don't feel sad. It's just a stick 
Happens all the time in nature, circle of life, right? But what I think this, this reminded me of is many people who say, you know what, I don't need to be a part of a church. I don't need to be connected to other people in order to grow. And I would say that many people who are not connected to others have some signs of life. Because they used to be. The life of God used to be so just in, within them. And things look on the outside like, man, it looks like they're doing okay. Spring has come. The season has changed. And it looks like they're doing okay. These are folks who say, I belong to the invisible church. Now, truly, there is the church that we belong to, the, the body of Christ, the vine connection to Jesus is not something that you find on a membership roll somewhere. That's not the list that God is using. He is keeping a more important important list. And so, absolutely, you could use the phrase invisible church in one sense. But if in another you are saying, I don't need to be connected to others, I'll be fine. That you, you could say that, about, that this branch belongs to an invisible tree, but it's going nowhere eventually. And so I think on a small level, you see a lot of people who have disconnected from the church over not just the last two years, but the number of de-churched people has grown astronomically for sure. And some of it, they're still showing signs of life on the outside. But really, what's the future there? We need to be bound together. In this world where there is so much that it wants to blow us back and forth, if you want stability, you have to be connected. You have to be connected to the vine of Christ. You have to be connected to his church. Now, I realize that some people will say, people separate from churches because of differences. But what if I were to tell you the Bible says people unite in a church because of differences? See, that, the, Satan would lie and say, well, differences, so I better, I better leave the church. And Jesus says, differences, you better join the church. You need the church. Differences are actually what makes us stronger. And so I'm hoping to help you understand this properly this morning. Way back on May 1st, we talked about verses 1 through 6. Let me just, in short, say, we, we ask the question, do you need God to do what you do? Are you living an Easterless Christian life, or is the Holy Spirit filling you or not? Or do we just have, uh, and, and then the togetherness aspect of that is, do we have a church that is just about doing the program but no spirit? Talked about the oneness of all believers, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. One God and Father of all. I wanted to look in verses 7 through 16 then. So if you're like, man, we're going to look at all 16 verses. We're already at verse 7. So um, that's where we're at. So we're saved. One Lord, one faith, one baptism. One common grace upon all who call upon the name of the Lord. So there is no difference in our saving grace. We are all saved. But grace has been given to each of us as Christ has apportioned it. This means that the function of all Christians might look a little bit different. It should look a little bit different. 
We are called the church. This is um, personified in, in, in all throughout Scripture. In, well, not personified, but, but spoken about in metaphors in different ways as we are the body of Christ. We don't all have the same functions. Fingers don't do the same thing as a, as a liver does. Your kidney does not do the same thing as your lungs do. Then there's the temple, the building that we are built together. There is the bride of Christ. There is that we are his flock. And so it says that God has given us each a different grace. We have different parts to play. And we're not all uniform. We're not all just, you know, like cinder blocks. But we have different shapes. And he did this. It's, it refers back to, I think it's Psalm 68, when he ascended on high, he took many captives in his, in his train and gave gifts to people. And then it talks about this ascending and descending thing, that Christ stepped down. One of the key attributes, if you're going to understand anything about God, is to know his humility. We ascribe a lot of like really powerful notions to God that he knows everything and he's all powerful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. These things are true. But one of the things that we don't think about very often is that God is a humble God. Now, humility is not that he he just puts himself down all the time and he doesn't exercise any authority. That's a false definition of humility. But it's also false to think that, that when Jesus stepped down to earth, when he came down in the flesh, that God was trying something new. Well, let's try this humility thing on for a second. It's absolutely a display of his service and his humility when he came down into this world, when he, his first bed was a feeding trough, when he died upon a cross, when he was buried in a borrowed tomb. Absolute humility. But this isn't something new. God has always opposed the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is why he chooses people like Moses. He chose Moses because Moses was so humble. Why did he oppose Pharaoh? He said to Pharaoh, how long will you refuse to humble yourself before before God? Let my people go. This is why Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You may be worried this morning that God doesn't like you because he doesn't like the filth that has come your way that you have chosen to live in or has been cast upon you. God understands that and he has a solution for that. But if you have a prideful heart, if you won't come to one who is gentle and humble in heart and take his yoke upon you, there's, there's not grace there. It, it's, it's only when we come poor in spirit to know him. So there is a common grace, a saving grace for Christians, but there is particular grace given to us. And the picture here is of a victorious general who has come back from battle. And he, people didn't even fight in the battle. And he's like, here's your gift. Here's your gift. Here's your gift. Mark Holmes, in his commentary on Ephesians, says this, God has placed before his church the superhuman task of battling evil and building the kingdom. Knowing the impossibility of humankind's ever doing this on their own, he has provided the superhuman abilities to get the job done. It's a comfort 
to realize that God never calls anyone to a task that he does not provide with the means of accomplishing. When we overlook this truth, we end up attempting to do superhuman work by human means, often relying on politics, business, technology. Guilt, lust, and greed become our motives. And the final product looks and smells more like our worldly institutions than the kingdom of God. So friends, the, the church has some looking in to do in this aspect of unity, of different giftedness that God gives. And the goal of all of these spiritual gifts is Christ-likeness. God gave these, these different roles, these different giftings, if you will, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. This is just one of at least three times in Scripture that there's a list. There's a list in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. There's a list in Romans chapter 12. But here is another, it's, it's a list of giftedness, but even kind of roles that God has put in the church. And he calls these, these five or these four, we'll look at why you might call them four rather than five. He says, these folks, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, are called to equip God's people for works of service. Some of you are educators. You equip kids with knowledge, with understanding, with, with the things they need to tackle the future. And if one of those kids goes on to work for NASA or, or becomes a pediatrician or, or becomes an architect, what you did was equipped them. You gave them what they needed. If some of you work in supplying tools to the builder or, or an armorer for the troops or an equipment manager for the sports team. You know, who, who was Neil Armstrong's science teacher? Who gave Frank Lloyd Wright his, his first drafting class? Who was the equipment manager for the 84 Tigers? We don't know who the equippers were, but we know what got done. And so what's sad is that in the church, everybody wants the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to get the name. But really what they should be doing is equipping you for service. We, I, should be equipping. Equipping. And I have to take seriously that call. And not just look, oh, I wish I had a different role in the church. You know how terrible comparison is for me? You know how terrible, how, how rotting and cancerous it is for you to play comparison? Rather than just live out what God has put inside of you by his spirit, the giftedness that he has given you. Somebody said spiritual gifts are not toys to play with. They are tools to build with. So the spiritual gifts like wise counsel and healing the sick, proclamation, showing mercy, giving generously, speaking in tongues, they need to be used. And, and we need to discover that about ourselves through service, through loving one another. You can take spiritual gifts tests online, and that's kind of cool. It just, like, it's like a personality test in one sense. But really, some of the best way is working it out as we serve Christ, as we serve this world. I heard a story, and, and I'm not sure exactly where I found it. When I Googled it, it looked like I found it on Facebook, which I'm ashamed that I found it there. Um, but there's this little story of, of a, a group of people, a large-sized group, that all wrote their name in Sharpie on a balloon. And then they threw that balloon in a room, and they mixed all the balloons up. And they, everybody was told, go in that room and find the balloon with your name on it. And they let him go in, and man, it just took a terrific amount of time, a long amount of time, and they went in there, and they finally all found it, what, 15 minutes, 10 minutes later, whatever. And they all found it. Then, 
They threw the same balloons back in the same room, scrambled them up, and then they told the people, they said, find a balloon and then find the name, the, the person whose name is on that balloon. And as the story goes, everybody went in, found a balloon. They said, I got Tom's balloon. Where's Tom? Oh, there's Tom's. And the person, Tom had a balloon. Oh, where's, where's Brooks? Okay, there. And then he, so people were helping each other find their gifts. So, so it is, I think, with spiritual gifts. To help each other, to speak to one another. We're going to get on to this fact that in the body of Christ, we should be speaking the truth to one another in love. And sometimes that means that somebody is going to attempt to to use a spiritual gift they don't have. And we have to say, oh, bless you. (laughs) Oh, honey. And and be honest with them, but be loving with them and say, you know what, I don't think that's your balloon. I don't think that's your spiritual gift. We all have different spiritual gifts. But sadly, some of us want to deny that we don't have ones that we think we do or deny using the gifts that God has surely given us because we have envy. Paul talks about the gift of speaking in tongues. He says, you know, that's fine. Eagerly desire greater gifts. See, that's, that's great. But seeking, exalting, one gifting over another is toxic for a church. So what are, the, what are the five or four that are mentioned here? These are kind of offices or roles in the church, but their giftedness is the classical understanding that some are gifted, that this... So you realize, when you get a gift, you don't get to like brag about what you got as a gift, right? God's the one who gives. And so all you do is say, this is just a gift. You know, some of the, some of the shinier things I've gotten in life, people go, wow, that's really neat. Where'd you get that? It was a gift. I don't know. How much does it cost? Where'd you get? I don't know. It was a gift. So then there's, so, so here's the ones. There's, there's the apostles. Now, there are people who we would say have this capital A gift of apostleship. Uh, the 12 disciples, Paul, a few listed in the New Testament. They saw Christ. They were witness to his resurrection. And they're part of the foundation of the very church. They wrote scripture. But I still believe that this isn't like a first century thing, that God still calls people to go to new people who have this, we would say, and I hate to use this business word, this entrepreneurial spirit says we got to go and do this. And so you can't say that I'm, I'm an apostle like Peter was. But I really believe that God is calling out people who are influencers to be missionaries, to be church planters, to be institutional leaders, to be multiplying ministries who have the gift of apostleship. I still think that happens today. I still think there's prophets. The scripture doesn't ever say, okay, this was just for then, or this is just for now, but this won't continue on. There's, there's prophets, and I'll say with a, a lowercase p, this isn't just, I messed up the slide here. Uh, prophets, have, they have the God-given ability. It's God-given to edify, to encourage, to give comfort. 1 Corinthians 14.3 just has, they're, they're to edify, they're to encourage, they're to give comfort. They can see present situations with spiritual insight. And I'll just add this, prophets are weird. 
And sometimes we don't want to let them talk because they don't look or smell like us. John the Baptist would not... We don't have a dress code at church, but people like him wearing camel's hair and locusts in their beard, we go, huh, but we need people like that. The gift of apostle, uh, uh, prophecy to speak in a timely manner. It's not, it's, it's not what you think it is. Look at what the scripture says about prophecy. Then there's evangelists. All of us should be telling people the good news. God has given special grace to others, to, uh, um, to some to, oh man, just to point people towards that first step in growing as a disciple of Christ. The people who are inviting all the time, come, come, come. Then there's pastors and teachers. Pastors means shepherd. There's no article the in the Greek. There's, he gave the apostles, the the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers. So some would couple these together. I don't really care so much, but I want you to see these could be tied together. And I think there is a little bit of a natural tie here. The gift of shepherds under the great shepherd to guide people along. And part of that is obviously got to be teaching so that others can understand and apply the word of God in their life. These are all part of how God's shaped us. Uh, Rick Warren coined this acrostic shape that we have spiritual gifts, we have a heart, we have abilities, we have our personality, and we have experiences. So even though you might have the gift of showing mercy, it doesn't mean because of your experience, because of your personality, that your expression of showing mercy is going to look like somebody else's. But these, these folks here, in particular, this, some call the five-fold ministry in the church, the desire here is that folks like, like myself would equip you to do works of service. And sadly, what sometimes that means is, Pastor, if you'll just line everything up on a Saturday where it's cloudy, I don't want it to be a sunny day, Pastor, when I'm serving people. If you can line everything up, and if you could take care of my transportation to get there, and Pastor, if you could just get some donuts so people would come and serve the community and serve each other in the church. And so, Pastor, if you would do all of those things, I probably wouldn't come, but I would like you more. Because that's what pastors should do. What this seems to say is that folks in these responsibilities in the church are to equip you, to grab like an, like, a, like an armorer handing to the army, here's your gun. Here's how to use a bazooka. And I believe that some of you have been equipped so much you look like one of these people who poses as a tactical soldier who's never seen the army in their life, who has all of the gear but has no experience fighting in the battle. You're, my desire is to make the word of God so relevant so that when you're in your workplace, when you're in your school, when you're at home, you go, this, this is the battlefield. I'm being deployed every week to serve. And I'm not just going, oh, I just, just wish Pastor would get it together on, on a Saturday and we'd have t-shirts. Scripture never says we need t-shirts. I got really close to the edge there. We almost had another baptism that we weren't planning. Um, friends, 
Let's look rightly at the giftedness. Let's look rightly at how we're supposed to be connected to each other. There is, sadly, verse 14 says, a prolonged infancy. He says, no longer will, if we do this, no longer will we be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. There are people who, who are teaching things that are just not true. I think it's one translation I found that translates this. Lies so clever they sound like the truth. Sadly, in, in our lifetime, there are folks who are teaching Christian nationalism, suppressing truth, suppressing people, people who teach about a God who only has mercy, no justice, or a God who has only justice or no mercy. And the sad thing is, there are many out there who think that standing up for these lies is actually standing up for Christ. That oppression in Christ's name is okay somehow. Friends, have we looked at the red letters lately? Have we looked at what we ought to be doing as a church? So if we're bound together, we start to go, okay, I'm no longer on my own. I'm no longer an infant because I have been fed the word of God. And so the opposite is spoken of in verse 15. Instead of being a baby, we can speak the truth in love. We can say hard things in a loving way. And we can grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Somebody said truth and love go together like Q and U. I know some of you who play Scrabble, you know Quat and Shekel and Quaid, but... uh, Truth and love. Truth unites. Lies divide. Love unites. Selfishness divides. You put truth and love together. Look out. Because now you have a body that is connected whose central nervous system says, hey, we're hurting over here, and the body sends help. Hey, we're doing well over here, and the whole body rejoices. And so what we ought to be seeking is cooperation. I know we have the, the felt needs. God, I just wish people would notice my individuality. And God says, I, I want to highlight that in the body of Christ. You can turn to your neighbor and say, you know, you're to blame for me not growing spiritually. No, you can't say that. But this would seem to say, together we grow and build ourselves up in love. Oneness, unity, cooperation does not destroy our individuality. In fact, unity highlights it. And maybe you have quit. There's, there's some verses in Romans chapter 11. I was talking to somebody this week who loved Romans chapter 11. I was like, that's boring. But then God kind of highlighted it for me this morning. That God is able to graft you in. Grafting is this um, thing that's been ha- happening for thousands of years. They talk about it in the scripture that you can take from one tree, one plant, one vine. It speaks about olives in uh, Romans chapter 11. That you can cut into a plant and place, and this is how they get apples in orchards. 
that are pretty old, they can get some of these new varieties in because they take a branch and they tie it back into the root, tie it back into the trunk. And maybe you have wandered away and you find yourself here on May 22nd. This is a good day to commit to say, I want to be unified with the body of Christ. Not just attend, but connect. Connect with others. If, if it interests you, Pastor Will and I have been talking about a, an adult Bible study um, this summer. One of the things we've got to look at is spiritual giftedness, helping you discover, how am I gifted? How does that connect with the body of Christ? That's something that we want to do. It's also just an opportunity to connect with other believers. Our small groups sometimes take a little bit of a hiatus for the summer and all of the travel. But friends, we need unity. We need the maturity that comes from it. So would you pray with me? We're going to celebrate communion and then baptism. If you, man, what a good Sunday to come to church. We're going to share at the Lord's table and then we're going to see um, just, just some folks baptized in the family. And so let's pray. Father, Thank you that you humbled yourself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And we, we understand that uh, you're exalted now to the highest place. You fill the heavens. And so, God, I pray that you would call us downward in service, service to each other, service to this world. Father, would we be looking for the equipment together? Would we be looking for the mutual encouragement and comfort that you give? Father, there are some here who are, who are grieving, some who are realizing that they've got some grieving to do. Lord, we can only thrive in, in those difficult times because we have each other to grieve with, to share comfort with, and I pray that uh, you'd unify us in this meal. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.